Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope that it blesses you. Thank you, Ron. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you today. Um, just before we get started today, just a couple of disclaimers. Um, the first one, if I could have the second slide along, please, Rick. This feels very loud. Is it very loud or is it just... No, it feels okay. Um, this is 12 rated. And there will be some sexual references throughout the next 25 minutes. I want to give you a heads up now. If you're anything like me, um, when I was younger and I was watching a film, if a sex scene came on and I was there with my parents, hated it, I wanted to leave the room. So this is your get out now if you want to um, make yourself more comfortable or at least preempt some awkward lunchtime, um, Sunday lunch chats. Here is your warning now. Um, the, the second thing to say before we get going is obviously this is about sex today. And if you're a new Christian or if you're new to church, you might have the idea already that Christians and, and God and the Bible are anti-sex. Um, and actually that couldn't be further from the truth. God is very pro-sex. God loves sex. Um, one of the reasons uh, that but people have this idea is this man up here, Augustine, a great guy, very influential man in the church, lived around the year 400, probably the third most influential man with regard to Christianity who ever lived after Jesus and Paul. Um, however, Augustine hated sex. He was very, very negative about sex and hugely influential. So he's got about a thousand years of negative sex chat in the church, all because of this one man. So just to tell you about that. We're going to jump straight in um, and look at this Ten Commandment. The one we're looking at this week, as Ron said, is do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. I've been preaching for a few years now. This is the shortest Bible passage I've ever had to preach on, so hopefully you'll all be able to remember it by the end of today. Do not commit adultery. Nice and simple. Although it's not actually as simple as that, is it? It's not that simple at all. And we're going to be thinking a little bit today about what it means practically for us not to commit adultery. As Ron said, this is one of the Ten Commandments. The Jews were given 613 special rules to follow. They call them the mitzvot. This is the first ten um, of, of those rules. They're seen as the most like, primary rules, the most important of the 613. Um, and this is just one of those. Now, if we want to make sure that we do not commit adultery, we need to be really clear on what adultery is. If we don't want to break a rule, we need to fully understand it as much as possible in order for us not to break it. Um, I'm an RS teacher. I teach religious studies at a local school. And we actually have to teach adultery as part of the new GCSE. And this is AQA's definition of adultery. AQA say that adultery is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone who is not their spouse, husband, and wife. Now, whilst I would agree that this is an, um, an example of adultery, I don't think this is a definition of adultery, and I don't think it's the biblical definition of adultery. Um, the best place to get a clarification for this is from Jesus. And Jesus, in the Sermon of the Mount, went through many of the mitzvot, many of the old commandments from the Jewish time, and he re-explained them for that time. And uh, do not commit adultery is one that he looked at in Matthew chapter 5. If you've got a Bible in front of you, I'd urge you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 now, uh, from verses 27 to verse 30. And we're going to be sticking around this passage mostly today, so if you want to keep it in front of you, it would be good to have in front of you there. This is what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so off the back of this, I think there's three things to consider today. Um, and those three things, because if I could just have the next slide there, we'll stick on this slide now, um, are very simply that committing adultery is very easy to do. And that committing adultery is incredibly serious and kind of a therefore, therefore we need to act ruthlessly to make ourselves and our relationships adultery-proof. If we look at that passage there, we can see instantly that Jesus disagrees as well with AQA's definition of adultery. He says that merely looking at someone lustfully is committing adultery, even if sexual intercourse has not taken place. I.e., you can have adultery without infidelity. You can have adultery without a full-blown affair. Uh, Here, Jesus is pointing out it's the motivation behind the action that is as bad as the action itself. He does the same thing with murder uh, in the same passage. But, But to have a lustful thought is as bad to Jesus as doing the action itself. So in a nutshell, to look at someone you're not married to lustfully is committing adultery to Jesus. Adultery is a really easy sin to commit. I have committed adultery. There it is. It's out there, guys. I've committed adultery. And I think if you are honest with yourself, many people in this room would say that they had also committed adultery. And committing adultery is particularly easy to do in the West in 2019. Particularly easy to do now for us in this context. You see, three and a half thousand years ago when the the Ten Commandments were given out, Committing adultery was actually a lot harder to do, and there was, there was lots of reasons for this. The first one was that family, the concept of family, was championed as the most important thing after God. So God's up there. He's number one. After that is family, and family is everything, and you would, it would be a, a real silly thing to do to break up a family or to interrupt the concept of family because it was integral to how society functioned. Back in those days, divorce was a bit more complicated. If you got divorced and you were a woman, um, at the time of the Ten Commandments, you couldn't get another job. You were, it would be a real last-case scenario thing to have a divorce at the time uh, when the Ten Commandments were given. Um, in Jewish culture at that time, you were ready for marriage once you'd hit puberty. Um, you might remember from R.S. when you were younger, learned about bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, so that you become a man or a woman in Jewish culture once you've hit puberty. And then you were treated like an adult. Before you got married, you had a stage called Kedushin. Kedushin is another word for betrothal. It means to make holy, but it's way more complicated than our idea of engagement. Um, So, for example, when you get engaged in our country, in in the West, um, you might go on a few dates in that time. For some people in our culture, you might live together as well. Um, At the time of Judaism, if you were betrothed, you could only break it by divorce or death, and anywhere you went with your fiancé, you would have a chaperone there make sure no funny business occurred. Things are very different today. Very different. Um, Years ago in Jewish culture, if you committed adultery, you could end up being stoned to death. Today, you could get stoned, commit adultery, and end up with a high five. This is a different time now. Most average age for marriage now is 31. 31 to get married. This is a scary thought, but most people encounter pornography in our culture for the first time at 11 years old. 11 years old. 
This is a different time. Not only that, we live in a consumerist, capitalist society where we love to sell and buy things. And our main way of selling things is using sex and sexual imagery. On top of that, some of our most popular TV shows are things like Strictly Come Dancing, which has a lot of sexual imagery, things like Love Island and Geordie Shore, which I know the kids talk about at school, watch a lot of the time. It's just sex, 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 and it's promoted in a very unhealthy way. When I was in year eight at school, uh, we had a sex education morning. I remember it really clearly. A van pulled up at school. It had a picture of a condom on the side of a van with a massive smiley face and two thumbs up. And the condom was saying, don't be silly, cover that willy. It's genuinely, <laughs> genuinely. And we were all given condoms. And I was 12, and I was given this condom. And I was like, right, what the hell do I do with this? I don't, what, 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 and I kind of we went home with our condoms. And the message I took from that day was, it's okay to have sex when you want, with who you want, as long as you get consent, and as long as you use protection, which is not right. That's just not right. And, and I was set up at a young age to fail with that regard, with regard to sex. That wasn't correct education. I'm happy to say that actually today the government's got more wise to this, and rather than have sex education, you have relationships and sex education, so that sex is always anchored in some sort of relationship, but schools don't have to teach sex education. So most schools do not teach sex education, and if they do it, they probably wait until students are year 11, where they're 15 or 16 years old, and so potentially they've had four years of pornography access up until that point. It is a very serious problem. Commit adultery is easy to do. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Jesus is pointing out that your eye could potentially be a separate entity to you, like it's you versus your eye. If you can't control that eye, gouge it out, throw it away. We know from Mark 14 verse 38 in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples are falling asleep and Jesus says, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So it might be that you're committed not to commit adultery, but actually you haven't got full control of your body anyway. And it's not just the looking. In our culture, there was a a survey done recently, and they asked a lot of men and a lot of women if they cheated on their partner. One in three men said they had cheated on their partner, and one in five women had said that they cheated on their partner. So it is rife in our culture. You might have followed the news a couple of years ago in that website, um, Ashley Madison was taken down. He got hacked. Ashley Madison. I was like, what is Ashley Madison? I'd never heard of it. And uh, it's a website where you arrange affairs. So you, you log in, you get an account, and you can arrange to have an affair. And what really astounded me was that one in 10 people in the UK, so one in 10 men, had an account on Ashley Madison. So this is huge, guys, and it affects our culture in such a massive way. So firstly, it's easy to do, but secondly, it's incredibly serious. At the time of the Ten Commandments, adultery carried with it the death penalty. If you got caught committing adultery, you were stoned to death. Um, By the time Jesus came along, one and a half thousand years later, the Jews weren't allowed to stone people, and that's why in John 8, when the woman caught in adultery gets brought to Jesus, they're not actually allowed to stone her anyway, but they say, what should we do with her? Uh, And although she doesn't say we should stone her, he does say, go and sin no more. Don't do that anymore. It's not just a grave sin. It can cause incredible destruction. If you know me and if you've heard my personal story before, you will know that adultery literally tore my family apart. 
I've seen firsthand the, the damage that adultery can cause, the pain and hurt, the breaking of trust, the trauma for children involved. Um, I've seen the church that I grew up in, again, torn apart by adultery, and it hasn't fully um, recovered from that yet. We see it in the news every week, and not just outside the church, but inside the church too. Um, you might have heard some of the really shocking and sad stories about Bill, Bill Hybels coming through coming through at the moment. and it, I mean, Bill Hybels is a man whose books I've read since I became a Christian. It's really shaped who I am. Um, and then to find out now that he himself has committed some very serious sexual sins, that's just, it's just so disruptive and, and damaging to the church. In 1 Corinthians 6.17, Paul says uh, that we should flee from sexual immorality because all other sins a person commits outside the body, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. When we commit adultery, it not only causes unparalleled destruction to our communities, it actually harms ourselves. I believe that every time we sin, we chip away at our soul. We are damaging our soul, we're damaging our character, we're damaging who we're becoming. And to commit adultery is like hitting that soul with a sledgehammer. It is so very serious. Marriage as well is meant to be a reflection of God's love for us. So when you look at a marriage, you're meant to look and see, this is how much God loves the church. This is what God's love for us looks like when we look at a marriage. That's why when you do, you do your marriage vows, let's see if I can remember them, you say, from this day forward, to love and to cherish, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death us do part. I think there's one more. The point is, it's meant to be this kind of, I love you forever. No matter what happens, no matter what context we find ourselves in, no matter what happens to me or what happens to you, I love you, I'm going to cherish you, I'm going to stay with you until the end. And that's meant to be a reflection of God's love for us. And so if one of us in a marriage or in a relationship is committing adultery, that's completely anti what God calls for us. That is not what we'd expect from God, that is not what God would expect from us, and that is not what a child of God would do with their choices. In the passage, Jesus says we're better off cutting off our own hand or gouging out our own eye than to avoid the hell that is waiting for us if we commit adultery. It is so, so serious. And so this is where we get to point three. It's a therefore. It's easy to do. It's really serious. Therefore, we need to ruthlessly act to make sure that we don't commit adultery, that we make ourselves and our relationships adultery-proof. I just want to point out that if you've committed adultery, and I've admitted that I have, it's okay. You know, there is forgiveness available for you. You might sit there now beating yourself up. But actually, because of Jesus, we can stand here today um, confident under the grace of God that God loves us anyway. And that all the sins we've committed can be washed away because of Jesus. For me, sexual sin and adultery brings me right back to that core message of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, that we are sinners who need a savior. We are all sinners who need a savior. One of the most powerful Bible passages, I think, is Psalm 51, uh, where David has been caught out committing adultery and committing murder, and he goes and he writes this poem, this prayer to God, uh, apologizing and repenting for what he has done. If you've got a Bible there and you want to flick to Psalm 51, it's so powerful. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, clean me and I'll be clean, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. 
It goes on, verse 17. My sacrifice to you, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise this. When we come to God with a broken heart and we say, I'm sorry, forgiveness is there waiting for us. In John 8, with a woman who's caught in adultery, Jesus says, I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because of Jesus and because of the cross, we can be forgiven. Now, although that is true and we can be forgiven, it's still wise for us to put some practical things in place to make it less likely for us to commit adultery, to prevent adultery from happening. So just a few thoughts about that now to finish. How do we make us, our relationships adultery-proof? Well, Jesus says if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And if your, your hand causes you to stumble, then cut it off. What does this mean for us today? When I was a teenager at church, when I was around 16, 17, uh, we had this youth leader, and often we'd, he'd have the, the, the youth time where he'd say, you can ask me anything you want. Anything you want to ask, guys, you ask it. And we always asked about sex, every single time. It'd be like, right, question time. Oh, yeah. Um, the sex before marriage thing, is that like a definite thing? Because I'm not sure. And we, we would always go with it. And, and one question that kept coming up uh, was this one. Right, I'm not allowed to have sex before marriage, but what can I do? How close to sex can I get without it being adultery? That was a common question for us as teenagers. How far can we go? Um, my youth leader, Rob, had this really wise answer to that. He said, well, you're looking at it all the wrong way. You need to look at adultery like a cliff edge to a very painful death. And if you look at adultery like that, you won't say, how close can I get to it? You'll be wanting to stay as far back from it as possible and making sure you're keeping your distance. And I thought that was very wise words about adultery. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Um, great example of this is in Genesis chapter 39, where Joseph is at uh, Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and he literally runs out of the house and leaves his jacket in her hand. He literally flees, and he gets out of there. Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. I used to go to church in Exeter. Uh, my minister there was called Derek Burnside, great guy, and he loved film, so he had a subscription to Empire Magazine, the film magazine. But he discovered near the back of the film magazine, there was lots of um, sexual adverts, adverts that advertised sex lines, etc., with a lot of um, sexually like, prolific imagery on it. And he found himself, it was such a temptation for him when reading the magazine to look at the images at the back, he did something pretty crazy. He gouged out his, you know, he didn't really, he cancelled his subscription to Empire magazine. He was like, right, I need to get rid of this altogether so the temptation's not there. John Piper, a famous Christian speaker and podcaster, doesn't send text messages to females unless it's in a group message. He won't send a private message to anyone. Um, if he has a meeting with a female, his wife is there as well. He doesn't discuss things with people, members of the sex that are things like marriage or their love lives. That's just completely not part of his life. And he's decided just to have a really ruthless and serious cutoff for that because he's so aware that people in the church, especially church leaders, are susceptible to adultery. If you have friendships with members of the opposite sex, it's right to put appropriate boundaries in place. Stay away from the cliff edge. I'm not going to go into detail uh, about my family, but my family, as I said, was torn apart by adultery. And um, after reflection, I actually blame both of them for that occurring. Yes, one of them had an affair, but both of them made the marriage a place where um, one of them didn't want to be anymore. 
And it is so, so important to invest in your marriages. So, so important to make your marriages adultery-proof. Um, when Claire and I did the marriage preparation course, it was a great time to sit down together and have difficult conversations. Um, but once the preparation course is gone and you're two years into marriage, it's still important to sit down and have those quality conversations with your spouse to find out how things are going and to make sure that, that both members of the relationship are feeling fulfilled in every possible way um, so that no one is tempted to look outside of that marriage. Accountability. Be accountable. You need people in your life to be accountable too. If your marriage or spouse is a great person for that, but it's also appropriate, if possible, to have a same-sex friend around as well who you can discuss things with. If you're single, um, a same-sex friend who, who you can trust to be accountable too, who you can tell you to ask you difficult questions, who you can be completely honest with to help you on the right course. Most men watch pornography inside and outside of the church, um, if this is you, it might be a good day for you to make a vow that you're not going to do it anymore uh, and ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that he can help you fulfill that vow. Um, Jesus in, in Matthew, he points out that maybe our eye is separate to us. Maybe we can't fully control our eyes. Uh, in Job 31 verse 1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman in lust i.e. I've made an agreement with my eyes that I won't look lustfully at a woman. Um, I was given some great advice about this as a teenager as well. I've always tried to keep to, which I call the one-look policy. So I'm always looking at things all the time, but if I look at something that might be unhelpful, <laughs> I look one time. One time is okay. That was innocent. There it is. It's over there. If I look a second time, that's not okay. That's a choice of mine then to gratify that urge. And so I, I keep to the one-look policy myself. That might be helpful for you. Um, off the back of pornography, and this is a controversial thought, and I was musing about whether to say this or not, one of the main problems with pornography, according to women who found out their husbands or partners have watched pornography, is that they don't want their, their husbands or their partners comparing them with the images they see on screen. They don't want their husbands thinking, I wish my wife was more like this. Um, what's the flip side of this, I wondered? Now, now, men, according to psychology, are often stimulated by sight. Sight is the main thing we men are stimulated by. The main thing for women, for sexual stimulation, is relational. It's relational things that are more likely to sexually stimulate a woman. Um, and so the, male, the female equivalent of pornography, and this is a very controversial thought, I think might be romantic comedies or romantic films. In that, if you're spending a lot of time watching romantic films and reading romantic books, what is your purpose for doing that? And possibly, could that be giving you false ideas about a relationship you haven't got? Could that lead you to yearning after a different partner or a different relationship to the one you have? And I think that's a conversation maybe you need to have with yourself and with God to think about whether that applies to you. And finally, if you've got children, in this day and age, it's a nightmare. It's a, such a difficult time. I was telling the kids a couple of years ago about my first phone. I said I, I had a Nokia 3310, and I, was, I showed a picture the, on the screen to the kids, and they were like, whoa. I said, yeah, man, it had snake, but like, it didn't have, um, didn't have the internet. It didn't have a uh, camera. And this boy in front of the whole class, with total sincerity, put his hand up and said, well, he didn't have the internet. And with that, this was not even a joke. He said, how did you watch pornography? Like, and, it was like, and a lot of people were like, yeah, yeah, how did you watch it? Like, as if like, it's become so normal for them to watch porn on their phones 
that they had no problem without even blushing, asking their teacher about it in class. So if you have a teenager, not even teenager, 11-year-old plus child, these might be conversations you need to have with them to contextualize what they may or may not have seen yet. That's where I'm going to end today. So as the church, we need to be counter-cultural. We need to live in a way that is different to the culture around us and not commit adultery. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.